Welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today I'm joined by Simon Schilberg Wallstrom, Oksana Stroy, Herr Rothstrom, and Fabian Ox to discuss leading teams during change. So before we get into the topic in a bit more detail, we'll start off with a few introductions to you all. So Simon, would you like to kick us off? Absolutely. Hi everyone. I'm Simon. I'm an engineering manager at Telebox, a business-to-business communication company based here in Sweden. And I've been at Telebox for about seven years in a couple of different roles with some different responsibilities. And right now I'm an EM for an internal platforms team. And uh, during my time here at Telebox, we have uh, five x our engineering department. So that's some, some really exciting first-time uh, experience with the with changes, changes, changes. Ah, sorry, with change. Um, ranging from organizational change and technology and welcoming acquisitions or the whole working from home and, and COVID. And uh, I'm really excited about the talk today because I think change is not just a challenge, but also a great opportunity to innovate and grow. And personally, when I'm not in front of a whiteboard or a computer screen, you find me at the playground with my two-year-old or around the campfire with the family. And I have a rather recent interest in running, usually with my daughter in the stroller. So thank you for inviting me and really looking forward to the show. Amazing. Lovely. Uh, Oksana, would you like to introduce yourself next? Sure. So I'm Oksana and I work as a product owner in InterIQ Systems uh, for the last two years, a bit more than two years. Uh, I work in the insights department and uh, helping the uh, stakeholders across the organization to to be empowered by the insights and to have the best user experience when it comes to BI tools. And uh, I'm originally from Russia. I have worked lots and lots of different jobs in uh, product, in digital product development. I worked in game development. I worked in website development and online education. Um, and so it's my first job in insights. I have changed a lot of jobs for sure. And I have done a lot of different uh, things also in my education, uh, uh, starting from education and uh, up to uh, now uh, when I also am very much involved into the change management. I have moved to the Netherlands almost 10 years ago and now I moved again about a year and a half ago and I live in a very, very small village now in the countryside and most of my free time is uh, gardening, growing my own vegetables and cooking. Amazing, thank you. Um, Per, would you like to introduce up next? Yes, of course. Hi everyone, Per Utström is my name and I work at Folksam, one of the biggest insurance companies in Sweden. And I've been there for five years as a department manager. And right now I'm uh, a manager for for these for three teams, working with the different web, web applications. And uh, I think this is going to be really interesting to talk about uh, change because change is everywhere around us all the time and it, it's, it's a lot of feelings around it. So it's going to be really interesting. I've been working with leading people almost all my working life. Previously, as before I came to, came to IT, I worked with uh, kids in school as a head of school, a principal. And different experience in different areas, I think it's really good to have and see other other parts of the work life. And uh, personally, I live uh, in the Stockholm archipelago and uh, most of my free time I spent with my family, teenage kids and doing things on the water like uh, wing foiling, kayaking, sailing, swimming, diving, everything like that. So looking forward to have this talk. Amazing, lovely. And uh, last but not least, Fabian. Hey, everyone. I'm Fabian Ox. I'm from Germany. I'm currently employed at Nexus. This is part of the IN group. We are doing all kinds of security application, mainly focused on identity management. And I'm responsible for our German-based development teams, five of them, um, and support teams in Stockholm as well, where we are for our main, main focus. I worked in IT basically all my life uh, in all various branches from automotive to tourism. So I'm not focused on a specific branch, but always interested in engineering in general, development in particular. And yeah, the overarching part is 
the automation and the optimization with technology. So I would call it like this. Um, I would do the statement that change is the only constant we have. So we're constantly changing and uh, we need to adapt to it and embrace it and welcome is, is the best way of doing so. And it will happen if we want it or not. So if I'm not doing uh, software development with various teams and being in IT, I like to be uh, outdoors with my family. I have a two and a five year old kid and enjoy being kind of outdoorsy all the time with my wife especially. I'm excited to be here and I'm thrilled about the conversation and discussion here. Amazing, perfect. Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, the Nordics Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Now that we know you all a little bit better, we will get stuck into the questions that you've all prepared. So you, we will work our way around the group as usual, where you've got your own questions and sharing your thoughts about our topic of leading teams through change. So Simon, your question is up first and you asked, how do you encourage bottom-up innovation and change within your teams? And what role does leadership play in fostering this culture? So tell us a bit more about your question. Absolutely. And some background on that, I lead an internal platform team with some rather senior engineers uh, with, with a high degree of freedom and the expectation to evolve the platform and the product and innovate and change. Um, and changes and from inside this team usually affect the larger engineering organization and how, how the other teams work or how they run stuff in production and stuff like that. So there can be a lot of uh, other people and areas that needs to be on board or buying to, to the changes. And um, some risks that I've seen with uh, initiatives starting from, from bottom up is that either it doesn't have the effect that we we thought about, it didn't get the, the buy-in or we have some uh, untapped potential, or it doesn't align with, with the overall priorities. So there, I think we have a lot of potential as leaders to both mentor and guide our our engineers and employees, and as well as like those sponsorship parts where we can um, invite them to conversations and to, to rooms where they don't end up in, in natural. So, so some thoughts from my perspective is I think it's, it's super important to empower team members at all levels to, to be able to, to have the ideas of, uh, uh, of improvements and to also execute on them. And, uh, I try to work with the the culture of like safety and trust and learning from failures to to foster that culture and take care of those in, initiatives but it can also be a bit hard to both like scale the successful initiatives to other teams and how, how to recognize and reward and uh, give feedback and validate validate ideas uh, in this area so that's where i'm at right now yeah does right, anyone so. want to hop in first go off Fabian. Yes. <laughs> Um, you were talking about innovation and, and especially bottom-up innovation. So I, I hear this this a lot and I always ask myself, so what is innovation about and what is it? I find it hard to really define that because in the end, it's a, a good idea that thrives and that makes something happen or that achieves something. But how do you incentivize? That is always the question I ask myself and the best solution that for myself and for my teams that I've found so far is to give room for experiments. So for like 10 experiments, one maybe result in a in a new thing that is in the end called innovation. But it is from my own experience, um, very difficult to plan. And I would also go as far as stating it as unplannable, it needs to happen and you need to give room for this to, to, to happen on its own. And of course, you need to guide people to it. So for example, what we do, in our retrospective is to 
um, do brainstormings, find solutions that we define like one or two action points that we want to follow up and we give room to actually do this. And it's totally fine that this doesn't succeed. This, of course, happens. Um, but you need to to somehow time box that experiment so that it doesn't go on indefinitely and to come to a conclusion. Sometimes the conclusion is, okay, it's nice. We need to look further into that and maybe we get something somewhere. And sometimes it's, yeah, I had a cool idea, but it didn't work out. And sometimes it makes click. Then there's an awesome new idea or tool or something a team really likes that comes out of it. So this is my, my personal experience. And I, I like to do those because you need to let go of control. So in, if you're a leader of that, you need to let go of control and let others take over and have confidence that it's happening. It needs some training. It doesn't start right from, from, from scratch. But if you give that room, it usually pays off. That's the only thing I, I take from it. <laughs> I, would say, I would say I agree. But I would say if it, it pays off, that's, that's, of course, quite important if, if it works or not. So you also have to, to be clear about the guardrails. Even if you don't want to stop innovation and you need to get, give the free space, but even though you have some parts, you will be, have, have to say no also. And that I think that's the hard part. You, you don't want to stop it and then you feel like, oh, I'm stopping the innovation. But even though it, it needs a business case to be valid, it needs to be some benefit of, from doing it. Absolutely. I would I would directly answer to this because um, the guardrails, this is the important part. So if you, you look into um, making it happen in a time boxed manner, I would always advise the team to use the next iteration um, to try that experiment and not to let it go indefinitely. So next iteration means like two to maximum four weeks. And in those four weeks have like a two day experiment going on or a two day hackathon that's, that's going to be organized and then conclude from it. So this is like the, like the guardrails I was addressing. So the worst thing that could happen if you try to investigate indefinitely and then this this infinite loop starts starts rolling, rolling, and and at some point people get tired. So you need to be um, ahead of that curve and and define it beforehand. What's the 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 frame and the guardrail of this? Yeah, I fully agree. Thanks, Simon. One of the questions you had was about, about the role the leadership play in the fostering this culture. But and then I think when when you like get out what you want to continue with then then i think as a leader you need to be a sponsor and and pick pick the threads up and and communicate about it and be sponsoring the these people who's doing the great things and and show with good example that that this is the way to go i think to be transparent i really like what you said fabian about the given room because i i believe that it's i think that you cannot just instill innovation uh, from uh, artificially, you know, you you just give space for people to innovate, and so I think it's a bit of a Maslow pyramid here. You know, make sure first that people have their basic needs uh, met, like you know, have a safe space to speak up, have all their you know tools and ways of working in place, so that you know they actually can work properly first, and also they can. They know that their leaders trust them to to do their job and also, you know, make their own decisions on things. You know, and, and we've seen, I've I've seen enough when you know people are one hundred percent have to give their one hundred percent to uh, work on the features, for example, in a team, and then, you know, let's have a hackathon of one week. But no, it doesn't work like that. You need to always give this space every every week and also trust when a developer comes to you and says, yeah, I need this time to and I need to prioritize uh, certain non-feature development kind of uh, things and if they see this trust you don't have to do anything extra for innovation it just will be a part of a part of normal work if also the management of course is on board with that and sees the the benefit in that nice simon any final thoughts i uh, great insights everybody thank you and uh, yeah we i'm uh, getting started in my leadership journey and uh, i really appreciate the, the thoughts Amazing, lovely. And uh, well, Oksana, we'll move on to your question next. And you asked, how do you win over stakeholders when implementing a new tech tool or way of working when your team is leading that change? So tell us a bit more about your problem space and your question. Yeah, I'm really looking for some of your thoughts and advice on that. And I've been in this situation multiple times when I'm not implementing the change within a team, but I'm implementing the change 
throughout the organization because my team is developing some new tool and we need to people need to adapt uh, to it or we we are the pioneers in for example agile ways of working and others need to you know catch up to us for more or less and uh, what you sit with is always the resistance and yeah it's 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 always there and you know people are what again, a new tool and, you know, why, why do we need to change, you know, our ways of working, what's wrong with our current ones. And we are often like taught as a, as a normal thing that people resist change. People don't like change. Uh, I heard the other day on the, another podcast when people, uh, someone, some leader of change said people actually want positive changes, you know, you want your life to be better. People just don't like to be changed. Uh, and they don't like to feel forced into something they don't like. So I wonder how, how you go around it. Have you been in these situations and what, what, what do you do to make it better? Yeah, I, I have some thoughts about it and it's, I think it's uh, it's really hard, but uh, when you have resistance in the rest of the, the organization, but uh, I tried some parts of it. It's to invite them, to to invite uh, the opponents, and then make them uh, make the possibility to participate and give your opinions. And uh, of mo- mostly, this the effect of that is that they have the possibility, but they and sometimes they contribute, but sometimes they don't, and they don't even want to contribute. They just want to whine about it. So. <laughs> so <laughs> So then if you give them the possibility to to be there and actually for real invite them, then I think it will be clear. And of course that there needs to be a clear purpose of what why why are we doing this? Because that otherwise you shouldn't do it anyway. So the purpose is also you need to be clear about that, I think, and communicate throughout the organization. I believe that's the crucial part. The purpose. The purpose is the the important thing to make change happen because this gives people a good reasoning why this is needed and this is this is all it and i i also want to to comment on the tooling request so <clears throat> sorry in my experience people asking for a tool sometimes i'm not sure why they really need this tool so in in those cases i tend to try to do things manually for a couple of times to really get into that so what are we doing? What is the purpose of this? And if we understand doing things manually to the bone, then we can think about automation. Because if you do automation before that and you try to select different tools, they always come with with more overhead usually. So things that you really don't use for your your purpose there. And then things get a bit clouded and you don't really hit the, the sweet spot. But if you do them manually in the beginning and evolve that and evolve that in an iterative way and then come back also to inviting the stakeholders I think this is crucial and not show them um, like walls of text or pictures or powerpoints but real working software I think this is in my experience the sweet spot to go for it is difficult not gonna lie there and doing uh, live demos on reviews sometimes they fail but this is the real thing and this is the best way I experienced to convince stakeholders to go along with this because they see the effect of it and even better they can use it themselves and if they use it then you have won. <laughs> yeah. yeah I absolutely believe in that also show before <laughs> before telling but uh, of course you also get a, a bit of a risk there when, the, when you show something half-baked because you already want them to use it like then they say you know your font is Wrong, or you know your your button is in the wrong place. You know these things like that. You often you often get when you have a lot of reviews, but uh, but in in the end it, it pays off. I think. The the Absolutely. the thing is you can make a real positive outcome of this. If you have like every two weeks a review, and the last review there was something mentioning out oh, this is wrong and this is wrong, and in the next review show okay, last time we got a feedback of this. Now look at it, we fix it. Now it's like cool. This is new and shiny, and then you get a momentum going. Mm-hmm. I definitely I agree with uh, finding these beta testers or early adopters and I am very much like that myself wanting to try new things out and I usually find try to find like-minded people maybe not in the management of the leader but inside the teams or in the other teams in the organization to, to get a foot in and uh, to be able to work from a couple of different angles and also 
celebration of milestones and, and the tighty the why that we talked about earlier, having some clear KPIs or milestones, uh, something that we can celebrate to show that we are making progress and including the other teams in the celebration. Nice. A, a good like side note on that is if you do regular reviews, actively ask for feedback. So not just like give around to everyone, but specifically ask higher managers. So what do you think about the last iteration? What do you think about what we achieved so far? And and do real talk there. People tend to be, yeah, well, quite honest, of course, polite, but quite honest. And if you do this on a regular basis, people feel much more involved because you, you take them seriously, you take the, their input, and you actually work with it. And this is huge, a huge value for, for the stakeholder as well as for the team. I think that's a great uh, thought, uh, Fabian. And I, it sounds really easy when you talk about it, but I don't think that's really that easy in the real world. <laughs> it's like, like but I, will, I, will, I, will, I will bring that with me because that's really the way to go. You, you, you keep people accountable to things, even yes. the managers. What yes. do you think? That's really, really good. And thank you. I think there's similarities also to sports. So the real good athletes that make it look so easy, things that are so hard looking so easy, this is really like pulling people in. So that is cool. I want to do this. Like, and, and creating a movement. If you achieve, ma make this and achieve this, this is just awesome. And it's fun. <laughs> yeah, I reckon. Amazing. Oksana, any final thoughts? Yeah, thank you all for for your input. I think it 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 makes very complete holistic picture. Uh, I guess my closing thought there is, I always think of this period of you know getting people on board as a bit opposite to what normally is the you know the image of a product owner. Um, you know, always there is a bit an anecdotal image of you know product owner, product manager who always says no to people, like you know, because you need to prioritize on certain things. And now you suddenly are in the situation when you need to say yes as much as possible to conversations with people, to getting to know people and their needs, even though you cannot, you know, make everyone happy. Listening and you know really getting to know people is is the key for for the success and that's that's how I feel about it. Like really, you know, you invest in this and then you it, it pays off. Amazing, lovely. Um, well, then we will move on to our third question, and it is yours, Pear. And you asked, how do you turn the power and a change from a problem focus to powering up the change and the actual delivery? So, tell us a bit more about your question. Yeah, I've done some. I'm looking up and and done some changes, both mostly external from teams and also internal from teams. And it's all always always resistance and it takes a little bit of power from people to make change it's it's hard it's an effort that is needed to do the change but i really embrace i started to embrace all these complaints and things like oh now we need to do this and that and i don't think it will work we've done that before and every excuse you have heard and then i i started to embrace that because I reckon that in that there's a lot of energy in complaining and actually it's uh, it's some sort of commitment and uh, I don't really know the English word for it, but they are really engaged in something, even if it's negative. And then if you have the possibility to turn that over, then the, you can use the power to, to drive the change instead. And that's pure delivery. And then, ah, that's hard. So my question is how to do that. and. I, of course, have some some insights myself, but I'm really interested to see what you think. Have you seen that? And do you agree? I really like this topic because I've been looking into it myself a lot also recently. And uh, uh, this turn things around and reframing, you know, complaints is a big deal. You know, I, I studied language. I used to be a linguist. So for me, you know, the way you talk about things, you know, power being powerful instead of complaining and you know showing something as a weakness is, is I think I, I believe that it can happen so I've been looking into something called uh, appreciative inquiry I don't know if you have uh, had any any experience with that but that's that's more like uh, looking into uh, in, instead of looking in problem solving you look into how your uh, 
how strengths and how how things that you do do well empower you for the change. So basically, it's it's turning things around. And you know, when you do a normal SWOT analysis, you normally look at weaknesses most and how we solve the problems and what what do we what do we need to overcome. Here, it's instead of focusing on what is wrong, you say, okay, but let's focus on what we have done right, and let's focus on what we can do right because that's our strengths. Uh, this is super powerful. I think I haven't tried it into, you know, big change management uh, uh, or, you know, solving problems with the team or in the organization, but I have tried it in the just one-on-one coaching, like someone was coaching me and like he has a great coaching program, which we are lucky to experience. And I've done some coaching before, you know, when I had to solve personal problems, you know, was sitting with a problem or my career development uh, at some career development points. And then you normally are just thinking, okay, I have this problem or I have this complaint and how do you, you know, tackle it? Yeah. This one thing, but with, with appreciative inquiry, you first look, okay, let's look at the big picture and see what you're good at, what are your strengths? And then thinking about your strengths, how can you achieve more, right? And how when you come out of this, you are now sitting with a positive image of yourself, but also a, a image of yourself in the future. So the same with with the team or with the organization. Instead of thinking, okay, how do we solve this problem? You say, okay, this is what we can achieve in the future because we are so good at this and that. And uh, that's really, really empowering you to to actually act. Especially if you involve a lot of people in discussing the strengths and discussing the uh, what can be done, and then you know people actually are more positive because they don't have this negative, you know, rhetoric all the time, you know, talking about yeah that is wrong and that is our weakness and this is not right. They actually talk about we can achieve that and we can achieve, we are good at this. So that's that's something I would really like to try also in my current project. You know, when I. I kind of in the beginning of something and thinking about all the resistance that I might might get. Let's talk about it differently. Let's just start from the beginning and think about what good it can bring. Nice. I think the the, the role of the leader here is like more it's not just the big things. When when you talk about leadership and change, you always talk about big big different things but and dif- different actions. But I think also the small actions will will big make big effect on individuals and in teams. So both yeah, yeah, the small changes are the one that that convinced the people the most and adding up small changes leads to something big in the end. Usually if you look at it from a certain perspective or from a from a time span that that was this change was all about. So and I believe every every leader has had these situations when there's team members who are well kind of naggy or who are the ones who always complain and I believe leaving this unhandled and leave it, keep that going creates a lot of negative energy. So what I experienced in, in a leadership role is to to, to start a momentum. Um, it can be a small one, it's even better if it's a small one, but a momentum that you're fully convinced and you're fully committed, whatever it is, drive a transformational agenda, go to a different way of working with the teams, a process, whatever, but start a momentum and in, invite people to join in, in terms of that they can, I would call <clears throat> it, can criticize in a constructive way in a group setting, because this is usually enabling people to try to be constructive, because it's not just against you, so to say, as the leader, but it's like addressing the whole group. And if you make this especially in the retrospective, if you make this a thing and um, brainstorm in a constructive way, usually people tend to find yeah, quite constructive, small solutions, constructive solutions that you can build upon. And if you, if you can make this a habit, then then slowly but constantly, those people tend to, oh, okay, if I, if I put that on the spot and if I, if I can, can talk to my colleagues and find a solution there and I'm able to actually do it in the end, that's nice. I like that. And I've seen this, this lots of times happening. And um, we've seen lots of people moving to a not fully positive, won't change fully negative people and, and fully supportive, uh, positive people following you along, but um, creating small momentums on their own. 
and maybe something that you didn't take into account but are open to address it. And this is building really strong organizations where you you let go of some control to some extent, but always build on the positive outcome coming from it. And the last but not least important part about give that thing a stage, like involve it in the review on a regular basis, what kind of experiment has been taken place and what outcomes come out of it. Because this is like makes people proud. So they, they brought something up, they criticized something, they were able to do something about it, and they maybe succeed. And then they show the success to the whole stakeholder around, maybe also the whole management. This makes them proud of what they achieved. And then you have a supporter that goes into your, your momentum. That is an awesome thing to have. Yeah. And Benel, what we talked about earlier with inviting people and giving them the, the room to, to give feedback and, uh, and like we talked about now, to give them ownership of the outcomes. And I think that can be a very powerful way to, to create these most stuff that you're talking about patterns knowing wins both for the individual and for the for the logic group. So Paris, is there a specific example where you have those people who are kind of naggy and negative or some some specific no, but yeah yeah I have some specific of course but um, but mostly ev every time you do some sort of change if you want to switch technique or the, the technology or if you want to uh, move something even if you want to move people or you need to change things in teams you 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 see this in like every change you do but some things i i do i, I really appreciate your thoughts about it because they, it's really really good to hear about them and also confirm some things that i actually do to invite people i try to do that but i also try to make them uh, even might make them leaders for things when they complain and and have them to take the lead on things because I usually don't know best of everything. The team, the team itself, it's a lot of brain cells working together and they know best all, always. So if they can do it and take a common responsibility, then it's good. But then also to to point out people, can you please, can you do this? You seem to have a lot of things to say about it and, and perhaps you can do it and people get happy and then as as some of you someone of you said you can celebrate them when when they succeed because they will succeed and then you get sponsorship for automatic but then also when when i i see that sometimes i don't as a leader or as a manager i don't see that things are a change at all it can be small things that I do, we decide, or it's decided above my head, or whatever, and I don't even see them as change for myself, but others in my team, or the team could could recognize them as a change, and then I, then I talk about the change with the team when I recognize that it is a change, and talk about that it needs effort, like we talked about yesterday, last, uh, last session here, and then that change needs effort from everyone and it's work to be done it's not seamless even if it's a good change it's going to be it's going to need some effort to make it happen so. and i would also say this is really good that it takes effort because usually people cherish the accomplishment the most where they they had to take a challenge or put some effort in it but if it pays off in the end it's a great feeling right same as yeah. uh, doing a marathon or uh, uh, climbing something, you achieved something. And even though it was tremendous work, it was hard, but you maybe also suffered to some extent. But in the end, if you made it, it's an awesome feeling. And if you can share this, it's even better. Yeah, it's really satisfying. Yeah, thank you. Perfect. Lovely. Well, we'll move on to Fabian's question next. And you asked, how do you support the team from an external change and not from within? So tell us a bit more about your question. Thank you. So um, I might need to elaborate that, that a bit and uh, to tell you where this is coming from. I'm currently in that situation with one of my teams. And um, in general, I establish a, a iterative process with every team, whether it's a Scrum or Kanban oriented, it's not so important. The important part is that the team always reflects on how, how they're tackling things, how they're doing, their achievements, their, their failures to some extent to learn from it. And that's usually makes teams quite flexible. 
to approach different problems or different challenges from from different angles and makes them succeed in different ways, which is quite valuable because um, then you have you have change as a constant in the team. Um, there might be the situation where the team is not able to react to some change pressure um, from within. Uh, for example, uh, if you have like a very on-premise focused business with software and you take the current trend or the trend over the last years to go into software as a service mode. And what you can do then is you, you take all your components that you have, you put them together, put them on a, on a cloud-hosted environment and try to sell it online, which to some extent also succeeds, but it comes with usually with some downsides, usually technical downsides that you can't overcome with having the same software stack that is used on-prem. So in this situation, um, I would say this setting something up like this is somewhat like a proof of concept. So we try to prove that our business model that was focused for an on-premise business also works in the software as a service part. So um, let's take for a moment the succeed. So we're selling it and we're making, uh, well, kind of a success story out of it. But at some point, if the organization doesn't evolve with it, you might hit the brick wall because you're over um, overwhelmed by the demand of getting more of those systems out. And keep in mind, they are not designed to run in those environments. So usually that means more effort to keep them running, more maintenance, more support needed, which doesn't scale indefinitely. So you can't scale a team up indefinitely. You, you can't put more than eight, maximum 10 people, I believe, in there. Otherwise, an agile setup won't work anymore. And there's too much overhead, too much miscommunication. And uh, it's just not, not working out anymore. So then comes the pressure. A big project arrives. Same as before, but it overwhelms the team. Team can't handle it anymore. And this is, this is what I mean with too much external pressure. So the effect that you can see within the team that, um, well, Deadlines are not met anymore. Requirements unclear. Miscommunications happens all the time. Stakeholder getting unhappy. Customers trying to to force their their feature or their request in there, and you you have lots of race conditions um, with your team and the, with the, with the requirements in place. So in those situations, it's time to rethink how you set it up, and it's time to also do some structural changes. And in those changes. What I've learned so far is a team can be can be a bit overwhelmed with those kind of uh, this much change pressure pressure involved, and you won't get anywhere if you put this on the spot in a retrospective because the team can't help themselves anymore. And this then, my perspective, results in a in a major change that is coming. So what I want to say with this is that we have to rethink the structure in the organization we are, we are having. So at some point, it makes sense to maybe split up a team, create more focus on a specific area, and evolve the organization to deliver what you have. In that special case, we refocused the team. We um, not made it bigger, but instead made it a bit smaller and uh, moved some of the responsibilities to other teams that are able to support here, meaning um, in those situations, somewhat you need to observe, you need to have a deep inside look of it and you address the change, not from within, but from the outside view as a leader and the most important part, a good reasoning behind it. So people need purpose, people need to know why this is happening and this is best done from the observation before. So I don't go in there like two days and okay, now this is what we do. It takes some time. It takes some iteration to get used to. And this is important. Even if there's time pressure, you need to give them space because the most important thing is you need to take the people along. Otherwise, they will, will feel lost. And the purpose part is the most important thing. So we are right in the middle of it, of changing in, in this way. We are restructuring parts of our organization to meet exactly this demand. And this is what I mean with external pressure. I'm a huge fan. I want to, to add to that. I'm a huge fan of uh, doing internal change with a team during retros. But sometimes, and this is where where leaders are needed to who give purpose to people, sometimes it's part of a regal organization transformation effort to change your organization and make people believe in this and create this momentum. Also, if you split teams up that they are 
uh, commit, still committed and willing to contribute to the purpose there. So, guys, what do you think of it? Have you seen similar situations where you, you couldn't solve an issue from the team within, from product pressure, stakeholder pressure, something like this? And what was your experience? I don't think, in, not in that scale, but I have some questions. Sure. About, uh, did, have you involved uh, the employees and the teams in some way, or is this top, top down, or how does it work? No, no. So the, the first approach is always to to work it from within. So to, yeah. to lay it out, to show the situation, and try to find solutions how to to comprehend and how to deliver what is needed. And there's different ways of doing it, like uh, setting milestones, doing estimations, doing roadmap plannings, and it might not work out. And if you see milestones failing due to different stuff hitting the team and people being overworked and not knowing what to do next. So this kind of situation has happened. And I use those situations and the real cases to actually make the case in the end. And you need, this is what I meant, you need this time of observation to make up your mind and give the thing and the change you're addressing some purpose. And with the real world examples, people tend to have it easier to follow this. Yeah. I think my question was if you have if you have had any suggestions from the team circles that you have adopted into the change. And that would be one way to get engagement from, from the teams to, to, to have them to contribute in some way, even if it's small, and then bring that up. So that will be a good thing to do in that case. Absolutely. And that, that increases also the, uh, the buy-in of, of every individual, because it's part of their idea what you're doing. And, this creates this kind of momentum. Yes, absolutely. Not sure if this is the case for you, but uh, but it seems like the change is happening to you as well as the team. And uh, when I've been in, in similar situations, I try to think, okay, what do I need to get on board to the change so that it's not us against them feeling and you're in between with the team and the management or something like that to, to be able to, that you're leading the change with the team backed by management or product lead or, or whoever is, is driving the change. And then doing maybe the observation that you talked about with some, some inwards reflection as well, or why am I, I'm resisting this or what do I need from, for clarity or explanations or whys or, or goals to be able to be on board and then both work with the stakeholders and with the team to, to get what you need and then to get what the team needs as well. Yes, thank you. That's, I, I would like to come back to um, feeling the change yourself. And I would also see in giving good examples. So um, especially in, in, in transformational changes, uh, changing your organization, um, the fear is usually from the unknown. And if you, if you can give good examples or like other point to other people who have been in that situation that people can interact with it, that um, it decreases the, the, the fear of that change. And I would like also to, to compare this to software developer. Every software developer knows you. If you have a problem, you look on the web and you search for similar issues and how did they solve it? And what you do is you look at this, the solution and they're, ah, I can use this. Oh, ooh, this is, this is tricky. Let's use this. And then you, you get in this flow and then you work the solution and you're no longer afraid of the problem. If you get into this space, then you already won. You, the, the tricky part is to get all the group, the whole group, the, the people into that, that solution space. And then it's fun. <laughs> I think it is a great thought to start with yourself and I mean, a bit also looking from a bit of a mental health perspective, be kind to yourself also, because you are the one who needs to stay stable for your team, but they are under a lot of pressure and, and that puts a lot of pressure on you. And then the other thing also make sure that they know that it's the time of transformation and it may affect their performance and it's okay. And I think that's that's quite an important message because, you know, we've also been through a reorganization and this this kind of pressures in combination with what you said, uh, what you said, Fabian, like the fear of the unknown creates the, the puts the ideas in minds of people that maybe that's not the place for them to, to stay or to work for, uh, there if there is a lot of pressure and also unknown and also the, the change that may bring God knows what and they they just leave. So that's, that's I think, the important part there is to take care of people and 
to make sure that the the needs are still important for you and it's not just about you know transforming you know being you know more efficient as an organization but also value them as as the contributors to this change and to future performance i think i've been in some changes where or at the management or have has seen problems and also the team seen problems but the management tries to solve them by themselves for too long time so and and it creates like sort of a knowledge gap so they work on it and they process it for by themselves uh, in the management team i've also been in that one in the management team and then they present it and then the knowledge gap is so big so you have thought a lot of it and and all, all others they will never get, catch you they will never g- get up to your speed and that's uh, i think i've seen it quite a lot of times and and it's then it's really hard to get people on board so try to inform and be transparent as as soon as possible, even if you don't know what to do yet. So it's quite good to just say that I'm doing something, but I'm not really sure what. I think I want to go in this direction, but I'm not really sure yet, but I will let you know as soon as possible. And it, in line with this, ask for feedback. So um, I'm not sure if this is the right way, but I trust that we will find the right way. What do you think about this? And if yeah. you have this interaction going, then usually something cool comes out of it. Yes, thanks a lot. Amazing, lovely. Um, well, we do have a little bonus question um, from Ellen, who was meant to be on this podcast. And her question was, what feels most uncomfortable for you when leading your team through a change? So obviously, change isn't always easy for a team. It's not always easy for a leader, whether you wanted that change or not. Um, and sometimes it can be a little bit difficult or push you out of your comfort zone. So for all of you guys, what feels most uncomfortable for you when leading your team through change? And how do you overcome that? I will tie back to Fabian's question or my reflections on that one when when I'm expected to and lead a change of some sort that I'm not fully committed to, but I'm expecting to implement a change on my team or something like that. And uh, that can be a really uncomfortable situation for me in with a team, but I, I and it's still going to be uncomfortable, but I try to, to push the uncomfortableness towards me and my leader or try to get the clarity that I need to either understand or, or understand the change or have the, the trust that I need in the leaders and the, and the program to, to be able to stand behind it and work wholeheartedly do it. And I haven't been in too many of these situations, but uh, it's been a lot easier taking the next steps, at least for me, when I feel that this is something that I can back, back up uh, to some extent uh, and not just executing orders or something like that. And I think that goes in line with everything that we talked about today. Yeah, I think the most, yeah, I agree. The most uncomfortable thing is must be when I don't agree or I don't understand what the change is, what is the proposal to change. So it goes, it's the same for me as for everyone else, but then you need to do the work, but I don't think the work will be done properly if you don't know why or why you're going to do it. So you need that. You need to be involved yourself, I think. That's a lot of similarities also to requirements engineering, I would say. So having a huge backlog and stuff like this. And I tend to only use a story template uh, to to make sure that we hit the right spot. Because in my experience, most of misunderstandings happens to bad requirements engineering. If you put the walls of text and tons of screenshots and all that, you kind of miss the purpose. Because who needs what and why? If you have this in one sentence and you, you, you specify it with some acceptance criteria, this is so powerful because you give people space to come up with their own ideas. And this is what it's all about. So that's why we're also focusing our POs very hard into mm, try to make up your mind about the product. Don't think about the solution. Don't think about how you would engineer it, even if you know but give the space to the team and let them come up with their own ideas. Sometimes it might surprise you what comes out of it. And those surprises, this is what it's all about. <laughs> what about you, Oksana? What makes you feel uncomfortable when leading a change? 
Yeah, I'm on that with Simon and Per when you are kind of not comfortable with the change, but also very much cannot influence it yourself. So it's out of your hands completely. And this idea of powerlessness, when you also feel that it's wrong, is is very strong. And you also feel like, you know, I, I'm the leader. Maybe I'm not the, the company-wide leader, but uh, how... What did I do wrong that I wasn't heard? And that's that's sometimes like you 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 feel like you know may, maybe I should have spoken up or did something, and then you didn't, and then some as a result, you are at the at the place where, for example, your your team is merged or your team doesn't exist anymore because you know something happened in the company. So yeah, I've be, I've been in this situation before, and I, I it definitely is not where I want to be again. <laughs> yeah, but I've got yeah, that's good. I have one other thing I think about uncomfortable. It could be like also about not knowing. I'm not right now. I'm leading a change in a team that we actually don't know what to do about the requirements. Now we don't know. We know the direction we're going to bring bring some development home to our company. It's been uh, overseas, and then we need to bring it home. But it needs to be done gently, of course, because we have a delivery and it's really good. It's a working team and it's going to keep working, but we also need to bring it home. But we don't know a lot, very little about it. So I, I've just got the mission and I'm not comfortable with doing it, but I'm really excited to do it in the same time. It's going to be a real challenge for me and it's going to be a lot out of the comfort zone. So it's a different way of looking at it. I see that as a challenge together with my team, I've been totally transparent that we actually don't know anything, both to the teams and the developers and also to the management team that I actually don't know. So that will be our first task to to get to know more. But we, even though we don't know, we don't know the time span, nothing. It's a different kind of change, I would say. Amazing. Thank you. Well, I appreciate all your insights and I'm sure Ellen will appreciate those as well. Um, and that brings us to the end of our podcast. So this has been another episode of the Evolution Exchange podcast. I just want to take this opportunity to thank Simon, Oksana, Pear and Fabian for joining me today and giving your insights on the topic of leading through change. Um, if you would like to get involved in a podcast yourself and you're listening, reach out to me on LinkedIn or by email at abby.stokes-evolution. See you next time.